0: Question the important issues of today and try to find a sort of spiritual connection? Welcome to Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holliman as your host. Religion deals with the most fundamental issues humans face. There are arguments for and against the existence of God, where religion belongs in everyday life and a number of questions left unanswered. This is where it all gets discovered. Now, here is Father John Holliman.
1: again. Nice to be back with you. Um, I'm going to continue with the book of Revelation and um, I'm not going to go through the whole thing because it's uh, a lot of it is repetitive. He makes the same point over and over again in different ways. But uh, I'm going to pursue it this far just to um give you an idea of of what it's all about, because it can be very intimidating sometimes. We were in the letters to the churches last time. I'm going to pick that up with the letter to Thyatira. This is in chapter 2 of the book of Revelation. To the angel of of the church in Thyatira write this. The son of God, whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like polished brass, says this. I know your works, your love, faith, service, and endurance, and that your last works are greater than the first. Yet I hold this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, who teaches and misleads my servants to play the harlot and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Notice um, he begins with all the good things complimentary things you can say about the church there. Um, nowadays, I think we probably begin with all the things that we find that problematic with it. <clears throat> but then he gets around to the, the complaint he has to lodge. And this is going to take a little bit of explanation. Uh, Jezebel was in the Old Testament. If you remember the uh, northern kingdom separated off from Judah Um, at the end of Solomon's reign they split off into two countries northern kingdom of Israel southern kingdom of Judah and during that time uh, one of the kings of the northern kingdom was a fellow by the name of Ahab and typically at the time he would um Mary had multiple wives, but the reason was political. Uh, He married, among other other daughters, the daughter of the King of Tyre, which is on the Mediterranean coast. And her name was Jezebel. But she was no shrinking violet, and she was... um, An ardent advocate of the cult of Baal, B-A-L, which was a fertility religion, and when she moved in to Samaria, which was the capital of Israel, um, she began to um, persecute the prophets of Yahweh and made made them very scarce indeed. Um, so she was considered, even uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, as a, uh, an enemy of the faith. And I um, need to say she met a bad end, but caused a lot of damage in the meantime. But this uh, Jezebel is uh, referred to as uh, a prophetess, who was in Thyatira at the time and who would um, lead people astray by getting them to join in a party where the food um, had been uh, sacrificed to a pagan deity. Now, by sacrifice they meant that the whole animal was not offered up on the altar. Uh, the, the priests of whatever religion it was, they would take a, an animal to them and they would butcher it, keep certain parts for themselves as payment for their services and give the rest of it back to the person who brought it and he would get credit for um, supporting the cult of whatever it was Um, and quite often if you went into the house of a pagan that meant you were were eating food that had been offered to some pagan deity Um, and that's what he's getting at here Um, town was the seat of the Chaldean Sybil an oracle famous throughout Asia Minor, and who was dedicated to Apollo, the son of Zeus. The emperor had been called Apollo incarnate and thus also son of God. He goes on to say, I will cast her on a sickbed and plunge those who commit adultery with her into intense suffering unless they repent of her works. I will also put her children to death. Thus shall all the churches come to know that I am the searcher of hearts and minds, and that I will give each of you what your works deserve. But I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not uphold this teaching, and know nothing of the so-called deep secrets of Satan, on you, no sec- you I will place no further burden, except that you must hold fast to what you have until I come. In other words, um, the trade guilds in Thyatira had feasts, which also included indecent entertainment. Each guild had its patron deity to participate in its social life, meant at least formal acquiescence to its religious ideas. Jesus is always on, John is always on guard against religious syncretism. Now sickness was held to be the reward for impurity, especially venereal disease. Any Christian giving her encouragement will be rewarded equally with great tribulation. Any who accept her teachings and act upon them, her children, will suffer the same fate as the children of the original Jezebel. Messages message is faces sudden and complete punishment, which repentance alone can avert. Christ is not content with formal religious observance, as was common in the practice of paganism, or a mere show of good conduct. He searches the mind and the heart. For those who hide vice beneath the cloak of respectability, the punishment will be public. The deep things of Satan, Um, we're guessing at this, it could be a primitive form of Gnosticism. Um, John's puritanism and strictness is distasteful in our own day. Presupposition is... The pagan world is utterly evil. Therefore, it must be utterly destroyed and the martyrs alone can claim the honor of reaping that harvest. He saw the liberals of his day as the first smoldering of a fire that could consume the church. It was the unyielding discipline of such men as John that kept the fledgling movement from being sidetracked into a dead-end syncretistic paganism. Um, Verses 28 and 29. Just as I received authority from my father, and to him I will give the morning star. The morning star is probably um, the martyrs who will not only reign on earth, but achieve final happiness. Next comes a letter to the church in Sardis. Getting at chapter 3. This church was divided like Pergamum and Thyatira, but here the faithful are in the minority. Unlike the previous two, the problem is not false beliefs, but spiritual poverty and complacency. They are at the point of spiritual death because they have avoided hardship through accommodation rather than zeal. Now, in the Roman Empire, it was quite tolerant of various religions. New religions were welcomed if they could be absorbed into the imperial scheme. Now, Christianity obviously did not fit in fall in that category. These Christians had enfeebled their distinctiveness and aggressiveness through discretion. Since the task of the faithful few was doubly difficult. The reward would be proportionately greater. It would be openly acknowledged before the Father Himself. And of course, we have that temptation today um, to compromise with the culture um, in order to be not so high on the uh, radar. Um people who don't who don't like uh, confrontation are more likely to do this sort of thing uh, de facto giving in to um, the pagan religion, whatever it was, whatever cult it was. Um, <clears throat> These Christians in, in Sardis had diluted their distinctiveness through discretion, which makes it doubly difficult for those who were uh, trying to stand up for their faith. Next comes a letter to Philadelphia. Um, We're in chapter 3 now. To The angel of the church in Philadelphia write this. The Holy One, the true, who holds the key of David, who opens and no one shall close, who closes and no one shall open, says this. I know your works. Behold, I have left an open door before you, which no one can close. You have limited strength, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the assembly of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying. Behold, I will make them come and fall prostrate at your feet, because they will realize that I love you. This is the Lord speaking. Because you have kept my message of endurance, I will keep you safe in the time of trial that is going to come to the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm coming quickly, hold fast to what you have, so that no one may take your crown. Um, now, this one complements the letter to Smyrna. Both churches are faced with slander and malice from the Jews, both faced direct persecution by imperial authorities, and both are assured that these difficulties are inspired by Satan. Whereas Smyrna is poor, the Christian community here is weak, but this only enhances the achievements of both. Jesus is the true Messiah with the key of David to include or exclude men from the joys of heaven. The open door, which no one can shut, is access to God. So the faithful can be assured of their place in the new Jerusalem. Jerusalem. It also implies that martyrdom is the surest way of attaining this. Now, to victory I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never leave it again. On him I will inscribe the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, as well as my new name. Whoever has ears ought to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, Finally, we come to the Church of Laodicea. To the angel of the Church in Laodicea write this. The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the source of God's creation says this. I know your works. I know that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either cold or hot. I wish you were... Because, I were, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich and affluent and have no need of anything, and yet do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy for me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments to put on so that your shameful nakedness may not be exposed. And by ointment to smear on your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and chastise. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Um, Obviously, this is the least satisfactory of the seven churches. So it's going to get the sharpest rebuke. Again, remember John's purpose is pastoral, not theological. He wants to raise the consciousness of his readers to the claims made by them, made on them by the God, the Amen who punishes and forgives who was at the world's beginning. Their problem is a false assumption of spiritual well-being, which I fair to say that we have an epidemic of that right today. Um, Such pharisaical presumption is unendurable when they are on the brink of being tested to the uttermost. The only coinage with which they can buy the gold refined by fire, which is true religion, is humility and unstinted devotion. Human self-reliance is inadequate. God is the sole source of strength and renewal. His rough rebuke of this church is a plea for a change of heart. Christ loves them to the point of pleading with them on the very threshold of judgment. Those designated for martyrdom are the most precious elements of the Christian community. For they will conquer death even as Christ himself did. Therefore, they will share his authority. And the chapter ends, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, then I will enter his home house and dine with him and he with me. I will give the victor the right to sit with me on my throne, and I myself first won the victory and sit with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears ought to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Um... Christ is the prototype of the conqueror, victory over temptation and persecution and death. While all the faithful Christians are promised immortality, the promises to the conqueror assert that it is certain for them. The source of their strength is divine, and death is merely the the finale to the, the life of devotion and service. The identity of the martyrs is not yet known, so everyone must be prepared to die. That is, the crown of life that gives security from the second death is a reward for the readiness to die. Since the martyr's ordeal is greater, his reward is more glorious and certain. But this only differs in degree from the general promise to all Christians. John's purpose is to give backbone to all by showing them the fullest extent of their reward. I'm reminded of um, um, an incident that occurred in Montgomery during the famous Montgomery bus boycott by uh, inspired by Martin Luther King, and I knew a, a Lutheran minister, a white fellow, who was on the steering committee for that march did all the organizing for it, and he told me how Martin Luther King showed up one day for the meeting. He said, if you're not willing to die, you shouldn't be here. And um, that shows you how stark Martin Luther King was aware of the opposition. That. and in other words I was always saying to the people on that committee um, this is not for the faint of heart and I think it's reassuring to know that there's some still some people around and of course we all know Martin Luther did pay the, the ultimate price for his cause and that should be uh, an inspiration to all of us that um, standing up his it, it, basically his objection was on religious grounds to segregation. Well, it's time for a break. Uh, leave you there, and be back shortly. Mm-hmm.
0: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. As a Catholic or non-Catholic, would you be interested in knowing more about the faith? We have a large selection of books in various categories from apologetics to spirituality. CDs and DVDs are also available, as well as handcrafted rosaries. In short, we are a resource for seekers. If we do not have what you are looking for, give us a call and we will try to find it for you. Visit DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com to find out more or call us at 251-317-3977. That's defendingthecatholicfaith.com.
1: Are you satisfied with your life? Do you know that more should be possible? Listen for the Access
0: Consciousness Radio Show with the creators of Access, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane here. Our program
1: offers pragmatic tools to change things in your life that you haven't been able to change until now. What if all of life could come to you with ease, joy, and glory? Tune in to Access Consciousness Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment.
0: Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. To Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holliman. To reach the program today, please call 1 346 9141. That's 1 346 9141. You may also send an email to defending Catholic Faith at gmail.com. Now, back to Religious Faith and the Public Square.
1: Welcome back. As I said before, I'm not going to go through the whole book of Revelation because it becomes tediously repetitious. At this point, I'm going to start just doing a summation. Chapters 4 and 5 present us with John's vision of heaven. The remote splendor of the Creator, God, wherein mankind has no part, which is the heaven of the old dispensation, versus the vision of the Redeemer, wherein lies any hope of salvation in the the New Dispensation, the Christian one. Now, there are three songs here, one to the Creator, one to the Redeemer, and one to the Father and Son. The subject of these two chapters is the imponderable significance of Christ's sacrificial death in the scheme of creation. His, His symbolism... Uh, involves the meaning the mystery once proclaimed a meaning beyond the power of literal expression for us today it is something which withholds its meaning Um, for john mystery points to a power uh, beyond our ability to describe it for us uh, mystery is something which It holds its meaning. The temple and its furniture are ideas that disclose the being of God, his invincible holiness, the truth of his laws, his will to justice. John thought in pictures. The outward form of things was important only as a vehicle for spiritual truth. The throne emphasizes God's remoteness and absolute power. The temple emphasizes the relationship of God to a world that defies His laws. Now, He also uses, in addition to His symbolism, allusion. John refers to Old Testament texts by way of commentary and interpretation. The prophetic books were sealed, and their true meaning was concealed until the approach of the end made them relevant. Right meaning is only possible through visionary enlightenment. And this is what John claims for himself. He says what the prophets had left unsaid and what had not even been disclosed to them. Important point is that God's purposes have not changed. John is merely casting new light on the earlier revelation. Verse 1 of chapter 4, we have found the phrase, after this. It introduces a new vision. It indicates gradually increasing enlightenment. There's a visionary sequence here, not a chronological one. The Father is indescribable, but he is made visible in the Son. God's appearance differs entirely from earthly categories. The rainbow referred to with the covenant that God made with Noah in the book of Genesis, uh, is God's promise to withhold his wrath from mankind. His promise to Noah was that he would never again destroy the worth with a flood, the earth with a flood. For John the promise is restricted to the mess- messianic community, namely Christians. The plurality of thrones comes from the book of Daniel. And the 24 elders are from 1 Chronicle. uh, The first book of Chronicles. The thunder and all that that comes with it is the theophany of the old dispensation. But also the creator's power to destroy. Seven torches burn in front of the throne. In other words, not in the hearts of people. Sea of glass which surrounds the throne is reminiscent of the brass water tank of Solomon's Temple in 2 two Chronicles, a symbol of God's separateness for saints to wash their feet in. Now, these four... Um, beasts that surround the throne, in Ezekiel, that's where he gets these these images from, um, they were passive. The wings were the power to act, the eyes were perfect knowledge, both of God and of his creation, and the creatures mediate God's anger towards the world. The Trasagion bears witness to his right to destroy the world. Um, Now, verses 9 to 11 provide a summary of what has been implicit heretofore. God's majesty and the subjection of creation to the creator. Creation without redemption is incomplete. Contentment with our modern world, with all its evils, makes it difficult for us to appreciate John's faith in the unseen and his yearning for heaven's joys. His awareness of the perils about to assault the Christians and paralyze their faith leads him, in chapters 6 to 8, to proclaim that the virulence of evil is a cause of reassurance rather than doubt. The angel's demand is not only for one capable of revealing the world's fate, one can also set it in motion and bring it to pass. Revelation must include the execution of what is revealed. Thus, in the crucifixion, Christ not only reveals the mind of God, he is also the divine agent. The lion represents conquest and victory. Kingship over the human emperor And Sion was inspired, inspired power to interpret. Christ's victory fulfills prophecy. The lamb is a symbol of power here, not gentleness. The seven horns mean perfect strength. Seven eyes means fullness of knowledge and vigilance. There is a harmony of will between Father and Son. And both judgment and revelation are put into the hands of the Son. Only now does the church, the prayers of the saints, have a role to play. Almost imperceptibly, John tells us that the church, God's people, has been redeemed. Um, It's a ransom atonement theology. A reminder of the Christian heritage. Now, adoration of Christ. Redemption is equivalent to merit. Redemption is in merit to creation. In other words, both are realistic. Both adoration and redemption are a real realization of the divine purpose for men. Nowhere else in the New Testament is Christ adored. adored on such equal terms with the Godhead. Now come the seven seals, the breaking of the seven seals. The four horsemen of the apocalypse is a familiar description of the punishment of evildoers by God's wrath, common in Jewish prophetic and apocalyptic circles. What makes it different? The message about Christ, the church's fate, when these woes fall upon the world, The focus here is not on the horseman. John's view of Christ's sacrificial death is that the Lamb alone is worthy to break the seals which reveal the future because this redemption of God's people by being obedient unto death itself, released a train of cosmic destruction. Um, The ties of wrath flow from that death on on the cross. Noah's covenant mentioned in chapter 4, has been broken by mankind, and they must suffer the fate of Leviticus 26. only specific source in the Old Testament for the four horsemen is to be found in Zechariah chapter 1. It is what John makes of this passage that is significant. Every terror known to apocalyptic is brought to life in a literally brilliant way. Carlyle's comment on Dante is valid for John's style here. Carlyle wrote this about Dante. His greatness has, in all senses, concentrated itself into fiery emphasis and depth. One smiting word, and then there is silence. Nothing more said. His silence is more eloquent than words. That's, that's a device that John makes use of uh, in describing the, the coming end of the world. There was silence in heaven for 30 minutes. Now, the, the, the four riders are warriors, which are sketched swiftly with distracting detail. The first rider is the host of invaders personification of Isaiah chapter 5. Parthian invasions known for their fierce cavalry of the Eastern Roman provinces would still have been fresh in the minds of his readers. Since this is about the future, it implies continuous wave of invasions until civilization is submerged, which as we know historically is what eventually happened. White, the color white here is a symbol of victory. The horse is a conqueror's power. Cavalry were to them what missiles are to us. The crown is allowed by God to prevail in the last days. The second rider is a picture of internal dissensions, civil war, not specific. Important word is permitted. In other words, the end will be heralded with universal strife. For the third writer, invasion and civil strife yield famine. Voice in the midst is Christ himself revealing this to John. Cost of food will escalate. Oil, wine, and corn is the Old Testament formula for human sustenance. To attack one but not the other two implies some food remains. As typical of most of these um, descriptions of disasters only one third of the earth is affected uh, meaning that this is um, a lesson to be learned before the final destruction comes Now there are two types of plagues in Revelation one are omens of the end partly admonitory and reformative intent, and two, those ushering in the kind of civilization which is purely punitive, the stroke of execution. This plague is in class one. The fourth rider, death needs no symbol to distinguish him. The pale color of his horse is enough. Hades is the gloomy underworld where the dead, the dead await judgment. Power over one-fourth of the earth implies this is still a class one plague. In other words, a preliminary warning. And we've got another um, break coming up here. So I'll, I'll get back to this when we return.
0: your world motivate change succeed voice america empowerment.com as a catholic or non-catholic would you be interested in knowing more about the faith we have a large selection of books in various categories from apologetics to spirituality cds and dvds are also available as well as handcrafted rosaries in short we are a resource for seekers If we do not have what you are looking for, give us a call, and we will try to find it for you. Visit DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com to find out more, or call us at 251-317-3977. That's DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com.
1: The White House doctor makes house calls.
0: It's time to transform your life. Start by tuning in to The Glenise Show with Glenise Hughes. Glenise combines business, relationships, wealth, life, and a whole lot of magic to create abundance and prosperity in every part of your life. It's all done through straight and often frank discussions in the best way that Glenise knows how. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Master your life with The Glenise Show. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are tuned into Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holliman. To reach the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Faith at gmail.com. Now, back to Religious Faith and the Public Square.
1: Now we come to the breaking of the fifth, fifth seal which gives us the idea that the sufferings of the righteous must call down the wrath of God on persecutors. But here, not just Christians, but all just blood on earth cries out for vengeance. The sixth seal is a picture of a universal terror familiar to John's first readers. It is a general, not a specific survey, and this just points to the nearness of the end. Then there's an interlude in chapter 7, which ends the first of three series of prophetic descriptions, the seven trumpets and the seven bowls to follow. After the sixth seal and the sixth trumpet, there is the excursus. The purpose of each is to show what is to be the fate of the faithful Christian. The second excursus, chapters 10 and 11, amplifies the first. They both tell the same story from a different point of view. The death of the martyrs and the con- contemplation of their number is a signal for the end. After each excursus, John says, briefly, that the end will come after the martyrdom. In the three series, he is not interested in the chronology of future events, but a sketch of the general and essential characteristics of the last days. Each series of predictions covers essentially the same ground but each has its own individual theme. Now the prophecies of disaster should be regarded as a setting for a more positive story, namely the message of redemption contained therein. This is not just a reassurance to the faithful to continue resistance. Now There's a note here that mentions 144,000 and the 12,000, are purely formal figures, tribes of the true Israel. Important point about them is that despite the diversity of the Messianic nation, as linguistic, national, and racial differences, there is an essential spiritual unity. 12,000 by 12,000 is all the martyrs. 144,000 when that number is filled uh, that will be the beginning of the end 7th seal is the end there's an ominous silence which deepens the suspense the end here is stated as a mere fact elaboration will come later the end is not a momentary event but a solemn performance or ritual, in my say, of God's final decrees, involving ethical and spiritual principles. The prayers of the saints, which is always, in both the Old and New Testaments, symbolized by incense, have a vital role in bringing about the end. In other words, no prayer is futile. In chapter 13, the Antichrist will come in human shape, in John's words, a human number. Now, there was a favorite game at the time called gematria. Um, numbers, this is before we had uh, Aramaic um, alphabet, the number system that we use today. Numbers were associated in, in the ancient world with letters of the alphabet, uh, different letters for different alphabets, uh, would be a different number. Um, the name of Jesus in Greek Yoda, Eta, Omega, Upsilon, and Syrah, J E S U S. The I is equivalent to the number 10, Eta is equivalent to the number 8. The S is equivalent to 200, the O, 70, and the U, 400, and the S, 200. Now The total of all these numbers added together is 888, Um, a number associated with the resurrection because the resurrection was the eighth day of the week. Um, now, if you apply these um, methods of uh, adding up numbers, the name Nero Caesar totals six six six, but it only in Hebrew, not in Greek, and the Book of Revelation is written in Greek. So it was a kind of bit of a stretch to um, equate 666 with Nero. Um, We're all familiar with square numbers, but I don't think many of us have heard about triangular numbers. A triangular number contrasts with a square number. 666 is a triangular number. The square number is 888. Most likely meaning is that Lucifer presumes to be a perfect 7, but can only come close, 666, since he is not God. It's a reference to human pride, the deadliest sin of all. So there's that famous number 666. You can play all kinds of mathematical games with it. In chapter 21, a view of the holy city, the new heaven and earth, in verses 1 to 4, the old order of things corrupted by all types of evil has passed away, a spiritual rebirth. can't enter and dwell here. With the sea goes all the imperfections of the first creation. God yearns over his people like a bridegroom over his bride. An individual blessedness union with God which answers our deepest spiritual longing. However, the bride is also a city. In other words, a community of the faithful individual and corporate bliss is inseparable. Um, in other words, it's common today for people to say, well, I can be spiritual without having to be religious, meaning I don't need to go to church and all that stuff. Um, John would disagree with that um, picture of things altogether. Um Individual and corporate bliss are inseparable. There is no temple here because there is no need for an altar or prayer. God dwells among us in heaven. The theme of this entire chapter is the New Jerusalem. It's not a set of buildings, but the soul of a city. Creation for John is making visible what was previously invisible embodiment of a perfect pattern in the mind of God which sounds reminiscent of Platonism um, the forms in Plato are a mental construct you can't you can't find an actual triangle in the metal material world because whether it's a pencil on paper or paper um, an object, triangular object, that has dimensions, and in geometry, by definition, uh, a triangle has no dimensions. Um, The line and the point are all um, not experienceable, Um, but that doesn't keep us from using it. God speaks here uh, in the, the last chapter for the first and only time in Revelation he speaks to the pressing needs of the church in the present and in particular to the thirsty it is done in other words judgment has been rendered even before the bitter strife of the last days has ended the view of God as overseer of history as a whole with beginning and end inseparable. It is the thirst after righteousness which makes the conqueror. In other words, martyrdom is a blessing since it leads to a certain quenching of that thirst of God's presence. John's list is influenced by upcoming events. Two basic sins come first, cowardice and faithlessness or doubt. John seems harsh here because Disloyalty is not a temporary thing. Time is short, and it will have eternal consequences. The city of which he describes, um, there's an angel that showed John the doom of the earthly city. Now shows him the bride of God. The high mountain is the triumphant endurance of all that was holy on earth. Other mountains may pass away, but not God's holy mountain. The glory of God is God's active and indwelling presence. A mystic's attempt to describe the intangible. The high wall of this city is not for defense, but to convey the impression of eternal security. Also, the 12 gates imply that only loyal Christians can enter. Since Christians inherit the promises to Israel, John stresses the continuity of God's purpose while asserting that the entrance lies through the churches. The foundations imply that eternal security and inclusion within the kingdom is intimately connected with the apostles who wield Christ's authority and mediate his testimony. Um, and that here you have a scriptural um, support for the idea of apostolic succession. It is the apostles who wield Christ's authority and mediate his testimony. Now the measurement of the city in chapter 11. The temple was measured to protect it against malice. Here, the city without temple is measured to convey the ground of its holiness, its conformity to the ideal pattern of creation. Four square, a Hellenic and Semitic symbol of perfection. A cube, um, in one First Kings, chapter 6, the sanctuary is cubic. In other words, the entire city is a holy of holies. The multiples of 12 are the important aspect of these measurements. Tenth that 12,000 stadia is the marriage of earth and heaven. In other words, there is no longer any distinction between the two. Well, we're coming up towards the end of the book of Revelation here. And... My next show next week will be our last. We've finally got come to the end of the book of Revelation. but I, I want to just um, next week to discuss a bit how all this fits in with what's happening today. And thank you and have a lovely weekend.
0: tuning into religious faith and the public square please join father john holliman again next thursday at 10 a.m pacific time and 1 p.m eastern time on the voice america empowerment channel we hope you have a very good week